Welcome to Dig This, a podcast about using archaeology, heritage, and business to do some good in this world. I'm Jenny. And I'm Amanda. Join us in a guest or two as we reevaluate and decolonize our work, our relationships, and our values. We're recording from the unceded territory of the Shimshan Nation, the Kitsilis people in Terrace, BC and also recording from Bowser, BC. In the beautiful unceded territory of the Qualicum First Nation. This is our gratitude season where we're showcasing and celebrating and talking with and about our team members. Well, I'm delighted to introduce Kevin Hogrid to the <laughs> podcast as part of our gratitude season. Kevin's been with us for a very long time. Six years? Five years, but uh, I worked with you guys previously just alongside you for two years at a different company, but on the same project. I remember that. Yeah. I remember that. Did you want to do a, a territorial acknowledgement oh, yeah. of where you are? Kevin here in Prince Rupert. Uh, this is uh, the traditional territories of uh, the Tsimshin Nations. We've got Metlakatla First Nation and Lakwalan Band, which is the allied tribes of the Tsimshin. And then there's Kitsimkalem, Kitsilis, Kitgat, and Kitkatla call this area home. So appreciate being able to work in such a beautiful territory. One of my favorites so far in Canada. Prince Rupert is a long been kind of a nucleus in BC archaeology for a really long time. And so how did you wind up in Prince Rupert? And actually, I would like to know how you wound up in archaeology. In the beginning. In the beginning, there was some chump that went to university because he was told to and didn't know what to do. And uh, he had luckily got scholarships from high school and, and stuff like that and so it was just like free money floating around doing this thing tested everything out and i went to school for i think biological sciences first when i was 17 and that lasted about two weeks and i dropped out that was at the u of a and i uh, went from there to grant McEwen instead just into like general studies or something like that yeah so i took psychology well biological so i studied all of like core sciences for two years with taking like psychology courses kind of my interest options and uh, then my sister went ahead and became a PhD in psychology and so I was like well I can't do that anymore and happened to take an anthropology class I enjoyed it quite a lot it's something I was interested in my youth is that that realm of uh, humanity kind of took a few more and a few more and, and all of a sudden got hooked on archaeology and and uh, still at McEwen and I did a field school with them in Italy I had already transferred over to the U of A basically finished my degree there taking just the basic requirements so I didn't really study archaeology so much as I got a degree in arts and had just enough courses to say I had a major in archaeology and a minor in history or something like that but no real skills whatsoever just a random That's the same. so many people yeah. have no yeah. real archaeology skills when they're graduating yeah. myself included I'm not slamming other people I had a I had a degree with archaeology in the name yeah. And never had done any uh, field archaeology. Yeah. Apart from the field course, my sort of tail end courses in those disciplines were related to East Asian prehistory. That's yeah. like me. I studied Hebrew for years. Yeah, haven't yeah, used yeah. it since. It's like the classic local Hebrew. Classic kid working at, you know, Starbucks with a, a master's degree and something ridiculous. When I did my field school, the next year I was looking for more field work. I ended up working in Spain for three se seasons. Mm -hmm. On a project there, and uh, once Which that was all done, was that with? 
Uh, it was a uh, community project, but the two lead archaeologists, one from the University of Salamanca and one was from the University of Barcelona, I believe. Right when that kind of ended, was right when my degree actually ended, I was kind of like only doing part-time at the time uh, for health reasons. And then uh, graduated 2008, there was a big downturn in the economy. And so I was about to go back and become an accountant. My mom was an accountant, got a call from a consulting company in Calgary, and they were looking for field techs for work in the oil sands projects. And boom, into archaeology and, and haven't left since then. That was 2011. So worked oil sands archaeology, pipeline, prairie archaeology, stuff like that in Alberta, Saskatchewan, Manitoba, and then um, kind of bounced around different companies in those provinces and worked for a company in Calgary eventually that was doing a pipeline in BC, a controversial gas line going from northeast into uh, Kitimat, I'm sure folks know about. While I was working on that project, I got a shift in Terrace with Clienza and uh, happened to meet uh a lady while I was there because we had so many down days. My lady friend and I became, well, my wife and I. So I had kids and then decided to settle down in Prince Rupert because that's where she was born and raised with her family. At the time, I was still working for a company in Calgary. And then Clienza again was looking for field techs for some winter work. And that's when I switched over to Clienza and been here now five years. I love that story. <laughs> I love that story. So, you, I mean, you did a lot of work in the prairies. How, how, like, how does that compare to work on the coast? I'd say when I was working in Alberta, like maybe 70% of my work was in the Boreal, actually. A very similar methodology, very similar uh, type of cultural material relating to BC as well, but in particular, like interior in, in northern BC. The coast is radically different from all of those regions. That's kind of one of the reasons why I've I've been excited to work here. Is uh, it is a new area of of study for me. It's the only other place in Canada or in North America really that interests me. So I kind of got lucky and, and ended up here. After all, prairie archaeology is a lot of a lot of lithics, and it's just lithics and lithics and lithics compared to the coast here, where there's very few, uh, at least in the type of work we do. It's been great. Hmm. Okay. I do love getting people's backstories. Again, I find them fascinating. So when you were going to school, when I'm looking at the makeup of classes, um, if I compare the makeup of classes by apparent gender from when I was a student, I would say there was always a ton of women mm. in the classes. I'd say yeah. now in my classes, it's probably 50-50. But I found that that was quite different than when I started working. It wasn't yeah, that, that proportion of women was not represented. That is true. Yeah, certainly my whole academic learning was female dominated in the classroom for sure. Um, what do you think happens between, you know, having a lot of women in the classroom and then not a lot of women in the workplace? Yeah. Junior level field techs, in my experience, were mostly women as well. At intermediate and senior level, there were definitely more men and established CRM companies, you could see that that kind of shift uh, as you get into like intermediate and senior level staff was more male dominated. You always hear about this kind of group of people called the old guard coming from a generation of, of where the uh, science and the university was male dominated, right? Since like, even when I was just coming into the field, uh, into this career path, I think that had shifted already and kind of alluded to most of the people that I've worked for, you know, not even in archaeology, but in all my jobs have been women. And so there's lots of women owners that I've worked for. Regardless of discipline, are there certain characteristics of women across disciplines that break through that entry level into more 
uh, managerial or leadership roles? Are there characteristics or do you, do you see any similarities? The women that, are, that I worked for that are either owners or senior staff members have a lot of business and management education that they've gone to maybe after becoming an archaeologist, where they've progressed their career by moving into a different field on purpose. I've worked for companies where it's like toxic masculinity and uh, for, ruins not the for party again. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's, yeah, it's like it's not it's not relaxing at all. It's a very uh, stressful situation to be in. So I find that was my personal takeaway from from those situations. We've been refocusing on mentorship at Clienza. It's something that when you know when COVID is going on and when business is tough, you're very reactive and trying to just you know keep business going. And then as we've come out of that, we're reinvesting in the team and, you know, getting mentorship formally in place. I'm very interested to hear about some of the mentors that you've had. Yeah. The first permit holder I worked for in Alberta was a lady. This lady permit holder had a sidekick. That's an employee tree I could get behind. Yeah. I worked for them like for two years, basically together with them on an oil sands project. It was just amazing times. They taught me a lot like about the basics and, and got me interested in the career path for sure. Uh, kept me interested. It was a lot of fun working for them. There was another lady that was like at a different consulting firm out there in the same area. And she was also in charge. There's another woman in, in a senior role that was, was doing great work there. It was a very enjoyable atmosphere of positivity and kindness. It can be a it can be a pretty brutal discipline. So I wonder yeah. if those characteristics kind of stand out more against yeah, like, the backdrop of what we do. I don't really have a really bad experience in archaeology. Laura and Morgan were my first two like female mentors. And then Laureen was the one that I worked for briefly as well around that time. After them, I went to another company in Calgary and it was another lady that was in charge, the lab supervisor that I worked with. Then I went from them to, uh, yeah, I worked with Marg and Joe. Out Marg, at Circles, at Circle CRM. Yeah, got the, the Marg effect of trickle down kindness. And, and then I came here, right? And so I got all these wonderful ladies that worked here from uh, Morgan and Liz and of course, Jenny and Amanda. And it was great. Yeah, it was just me uh, up here anyway. <laughs> and uh, and all women. Recently, there's been an influx of, of men. I do wonder if fewer women are choosing this field in general. When you joined us, it's around the time that you, you'd met Kate, you were starting your family, you were setting yeah. up a home, and also Amanda and I were going through very similar things, yeah, right? Yeah, like, yeah, All our kids gotten, are around the same age, yeah. All our kids are around the same age, getting married uh, around the same time. Um, I got together with Tony, I think, pretty close to around the time you got together with Kate. Oh, yeah. And, and I, I wonder, like... Was it because of those kinds of synergies that it was a good fit? Oh, or do yeah. you think it yeah. would have been as That's good a true. fit yeah. if, if those things weren't going on at the same time? Personally, my personality changed considerably when mm -hmm. I started to have kids. I would party and drink and do all this stuff like a lot and, and you know, travel around the world and just didn't really have an official house, just working that yeah. like shift work until I had kids and then I want to settle down. And and the family focus that Clienza has has certainly attracted me and it's attracted other staff. There's more to life than just work. Mm -hmm. It's a characteristic that would certainly, I think, draw people in. And so maybe you get that more from you guys. And maybe that's why I, I'm attracted to having female mentors is because they understand that. And usually they're yeah exactly at, at that stage where they've had kids or, or are planning to have kids and 
yeah, maybe that's why. And I, I feel like a lot of young parents and, and historically women, I think that there's been a real change in what fatherhood it means to yep, people yep. in the past few years, which has been really nice. Like there's dads like yourself, there's my husband, there's lots of men who are like equal parents who aren't falling into that, uh, you know, old role of yeah. work all day and then go to the pub after or go yeah. golfing or whatever, like they're present for their kids. When we talk about parenting and parenthood, it absolutely changed the perspective because with Clienza, when we started the business, we didn't know if it was Saturday or Tuesday. Every day yeah, was yeah. a work day. And yeah. then when there was no work, we'd take a day off. We'd have lots of wine. We'd be, you know, doing whatever needed to be done, working really hard, living in trailers or random hotels i mean we like to make some money but it wasn't as important because we didn't have mortgages we were like we only needed a certain amount to get by and that has absolutely changed but i would say in general in my experience archaeology and parenthood aren't always a great fit yeah that's tough you certainly have to have either the company support you or a partner that is able to support you or not just a partner but like a family network aunts uncles and cousins and grandparents it's draining to, to work yeah. shift work and, and be away from kids but i've done it like when the boys were born they uh, i was away you know I, I did i think delayed the season by six six weeks and then i was gone for like you know a month at a time uh, how did I kate mean, manage that how yeah did... well like i said she had she had a good support network and and she's also just an amazing woman she's pretty but, great uh, yeah. how could the discipline yeah. actually support more women more generally instead of just you know individuals within the discipline or rare companies within the discipline promoting those things is there a way the discipline as a whole could be more encouraging to women um personal perspective is my dad was an engineer that worked overseas for extremely long periods of time my family just grew up being aware that dad was away working and and so for me to go into a career where that's a norm was easy organic transition and and my partner as well Kate, her dad's a fisherman and he was away for long periods of time. Same thing. So it was like very organic for us. Um, we were comfortable with that lifestyle, knew what to expect. So it can make it work. Like, for example, you know, on these seasons still where I'm expected to be away for long periods of time, I understand that I need to do that because it pays the bills. Uh, and my family knows that that's what needs to be done that pays the bills. And whether it's me as a man or my wife, if she was doing it, it wouldn't, wouldn't matter to us as long as. We were able to keep a roof over our head and feed the kids. So having those expectations and being comfortable with those expectations, realizing that, no, you're not going to be going on summer trips with your friends camping and, and going to concerts and, and stuff. And maybe you're going to have to live in remote towns for a while to get your career established. These are just realistic things that you have to deal with. You know, it's not just our industry. It's every lots of industries. You know, gig work is becoming more common and stuff like that. It's just something that personally people have to realize. Uh, second thing is the amount of work. You know, like I said, when I was 2008, when I first started applying for work, there was very little. There was a downturn in the economy and people were getting laid off right and left. So it was it was very hard to find work, especially locally. And for consistent periods of time, you know, you're doing maybe one or two shifts here and there. So in BC, because of the regulations and the, the, the characteristics of the First Nation framework and, and just like the recognition that it's unceded territory and there's a huge First Nation input into everything that goes on in BC. So there's more work in BC because of that. Framework, and I think I there's think. also the work is changing a lot. Like, I think that there's the opportunity to be 
as you said, kind of in your first point, there's still a lot of work where you need to go away, you know, into yeah. camp. That's just part of it. But in addition to that, there's other types of work I find that are coming now. So yeah. you can be a different type of archaeologist. You can probably oh, be true. an archaeologist in, in BC and never hold a permit. Probably, you know, not even work under permit if you didn't want. And I'm thinking, you know, our discipline is widening to include projects related to reconciliation and yeah. just land inventories and land use and so on that those things did not exist when yeah. I started out. That's good. Good good to know. And then of course like the the hierarchy that we talked about like in BC the framework of a field supervisor, field director, permit holder, you don't get in any other provinces. And so there's uh sort of a regimented system of of career development where you don't just go from being a grunt to all of a sudden you get a degree and now you're in the upper echelon yeah. so there's there's way for you to improve and work at the same time and not just have to take time off to go to school for example so there's ways to like come out with a bachelor's degree or even while you're still in school and start your career and maintain a almost full-time job historically too as well you know you're doing gig work and and you can't really support a family on on you know four shifts a year that's changed uh and nbc is is better than other provinces i find for that the third thing was yeah obviously the, the company's making space for people to manage the workload with a family life and decline work as well yeah Clianza is uh, is certainly one in like, the far end of the spectrum, I find, in terms of being extremely flexible. Other companies are moderately flexible, and some companies are absolutely not flexible. So you're certainly on the like extremely progressive side. <laughs> I like to think that we would have been as flexible had we never had kids and families, but I think that accelerated that process because it just isn't oh, yeah. possible Otherwise, it's just simply not possible to work about around kids' birthdays and everything else. And I appreciate what you say about our partners are so key. Like this wouldn't be possible without Kate. This wouldn't be possible without Tony. It just mm -hmm. wouldn't. You know, every archaeologist partner is used to, oh, I just got a call. I got to head out yeah. tomorrow. Uh, it's a bummer. And they just kind of roll with it because they understand yeah. the nature of, of the work. Right. Um, and, and it sounds like in your family that with, you know, both of your parents, there's been this history yeah. of understanding out of town work. Same with my dad. He's a he was a ship captain. He'd be gone for months and months and months on like oil tankers and yeah. chemical tankers. And so that was just part of it. But I saw it as very gendered. I, you know, my experience was that was definitely something the dad did and yeah. the mom was at home. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Sharif, I think, is a good example where his wife uh, has like an amazing job. And, yeah. and Sharif is the more flexible one now where he's very cognizant of being there for his family more yeah. than, than say someone like me, where I'm, I'm like, have them have the greater freedom to just take off. Yeah. The anchor parent, like Tony yeah. would be the anchor parent in our family. He knows his schedule. He's picking the kids yeah. up like clockwork. Yeah. As we're talking about these characteristics that make it better for women coming in. And I think by extension, you know, non-binary folks as well, and folks who just aren't men, for example, right? Like mm -hmm. widening the gender model in archaeology. So with those things in mind, like we were talking about, you know, having the personal perspective, how the work has changed, the amount of work, the type of work, and then how company values and characteristics are changing. Does all of that mean then the end of toxic masculinity in archaeology? Yeah. No, because <laughs> no. <laughs> we still have to work with clients where that is uh, yes. never going to shift. <laughs> and so right. you get that and it's in the camp culture, right? I've worked in enough camps over the years at enough industrial sites and heavy equipment areas. And I've been able to see that actually change, but oh, it's, it's rare. And uh, it's 
more in the when you're involved in the baseline studies where you'll get a more open atmosphere in these kind of sectors because there's more environmental consultants, there's senior academics. I'll give you an example, a mine program where they're still doing exploratory work. You've got student geologists. So they're in that free thinking world, I guess, where they're and they're open and, and accepting. Whereas you work in like an oil platform and it's just like this <laughs> the most toxic environment, a toxically masculine environment in the world. I don't know. I don't see that shifting very much anytime soon. How do we change behavior in those circumstances? One thing that Clienza does was selecting what work to do. We have a company culture and a company goals. And part of that is removing ourselves from those environments, particularly like extremely toxic things. We do First Nation ones where they're leading the way or they, the company has an extremely strong progressive foundation on social and human rights, as well as environmental standards and things like that. So we work with those, but they have to have that high quality. And so the ones that are not like that, the, the classic cowboys are, are just, we're just not working with them. So that's the way to change it is to just to choose what you want to work with, the ones that are progressive and not work for the ones that you don't. I'm also thinking about like the current climate with topics surrounding decolonization of practice and reconciliation. And one of the things that I have learned from working with a lot of communities is that some of the so-called female characteristics of, let's say, family and displaying our emotions, being guided by values or trusting our feelings, all of those things are actually parallels that I see in a lot of Indigenous communities and culture. Yeah, like they're already and yeah. and aren't specific to just the women. Like yeah, throughout yeah. the community. And so it's almost like because those things are happening and we're talking about those things through the process of decolonization, it's almost has the secondary um, advantage of making space for those characteristics and values within like a business setting, where in my experience, there has been no space for like me talking about my feelings in a boardroom. No one wants to hear about my feelings in the boardroom. Definitely. I would agree. In BC, and maybe this is like a, in Canada too, where the federal government and, and provincial governments and various institutions have supported the, the growth of First Nations and First Nation culture and reestablishment of that culture and those values has given an opportunity for that. Yeah, for sure. But I would say that if those governments and institutions flip and we go to say a very, very conservative government and, and institutions that won't happen it, it'll take a long time so do you think that you're unusual among well men i'm very unusual yeah. well sorry kev you are very unusual you're totally kids, a rare breed the kids call me weird all the time <laughs> <laughs> well i mean i can't argue with that they know you best <laughs> But like, do you think like these perspectives that you're talking about, do you think that they're unusual in the field? I, I asked Tony I don't the think same in our question, discipline. right? Not, I don't you think know. in our discipline. I think a lot of the men that are in our discipline are very well educated. And, you know, there's obviously going to be, it's, I'm not, it's a generalization. There's going to be people that think a certain way and, and they won't ever change. I think most of the men that I meet nowadays would think the same way, at least be very open to this sort of transition into a, in a more inclusive environment and more inclusive uh, ways of carrying out our, our discipline. Other disciplines, I don't know. I'm also wondering, you know, you, you've spoken about how female mentors have been really impactful for you and have, you know, mirrored what you needed at different times in your life. And so I also wonder, have you had male mentors that also promoted women in the field or more <laughs> equity 
in the home and as well as in business, for example, or did you have any? (laughs) Straight answer. (laughs) No. No. (laughs) Well, hey, hey, fair enough. My best male mentors would certainly, um, they would understand that that is the right thing to do, but then they would say that and then they turn and joke and say, but obviously they're not, they're not going to be suitable in the workplace. Like they would, they would intellectually understand it, but then like never apply it. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Huh. Great answer. Yeah. Well, shit. Like I said, there's that male that old uh, guard progression the old guard like it just it, it it seeps down into people and i saw it in all different companies and where the men would be like it when if they really saddle up to that old guard and they wanted to be like them it would it would it would be like that right um, i right. think that is switching to becoming a minority you've got kids right and so yeah. how are you how are you and kate talking about this kind of stuff with you? i know your kids are they're a span of ages but they're yeah. still they're, you know they're they're still relatively young Kate's very on the kids all the time whenever they say something that's hateful or and stuff like that. And I'm more just laugh it off and like if it's really offensive, then I'll tell them to stop. But, so uh, so a nice balance is what you're yeah, saying yeah. In, in the home. And I mean, balance. I turned out the way I did, and my dad would like freaking laugh when kids fell down. So uh, <laughs> <laughs> and you turned out just fine. Yeah, right, look at me. Would you encourage your kids to go into archaeology? Or would it have to No, to I would prefer they went into way? I would prefer they went into things more like First Nations law. Like archaeology is great, but I think it, for, for one, it's a dying discipline. The decolonization of archaeology is, is not calling it archaeology anymore. There's ways to do the same work and achieve the same results without just focusing on artifacts, for example, and the collection and the, the safeguard of physical attributes. And so I would prefer that if you're interested in indigenous culture, and the management of indigenous culture, it would be more along the lines of the legal framework, incorporating it into the Canadian framework, policy, and and just general like cultural studies, understanding the languages, improving the cultural business. For one, eventually, everything's going to get removed. It's all going to be disturbed. Like it's like in the you know you look in like the UK or places where they've been building on top of the same things for 20,000 years. They still do archaeology, but it's just management of things that have been protected more so already. So like existing site management, which I will will still be archaeology. I wouldn't call it archaeology anymore. Like I said, I, I would call it like cultural heritage management. It's not really archaeology as it's defined anymore. I would not mm. tell them to go into archaeology. <laughs> for one, it also <laughs> I want them to be able to uh, pay for me when I retire. It's funny because I promote certain jobs to my kids as well. Just like my parents, I'm sure, tried to promote certain jobs to yeah. me. We didn't know archaeology was a job. Well, like that's a another thing. Job. Like we talk about all the time with friends and, and uh, colleagues is is not knowing. And this came up in school all the time. Is not no one knew what archaeology was. No one knew what anthropology was. No one knew you could like get careers in that. Everybody would think it's like just dinosaur stuff. And, like it's just not recognized as well as other things. Do you think that the Indiana Jones effect is still a thing? And is that impacting both people oh. who go into the discipline who, and who don't go into the discipline? <laughs> I still get Indiana is, Jones gotta, references. Yeah, it's like I, 40 years old. All you got to do is uh, look at a field school photo and see how many freaking kids have fedoras on. And uh, you'll know and that. so oh, yeah. much, so much beige. Oh, yeah. Khaki and, and they're always carrying those freaking laps and like side bags. Oh man, you still see it. I always see it. Like every field school, they look exactly the same. So that never goes away. I don't know why. I'm thinking about like the SAAs, the Society for American Archaeology meeting, where it's like 2,000 archaeologists in a convention center 
and there's so many fedoras. Oh yeah, it's weird. And they're no, there's no sun beating down on their head. They're inside, <laughs> so like an arena. Yeah, it just people pick up on that. It's a way to identify, I guess. Well, there's so there's the men with the fedoras, and then there's like the women with like the ethnic statement necklace. Oh yeah, yeah. You know, or like, like it seems like something they they just I mean, look I, very cliche. I do love a I love a scarf, Kevin. Yeah, I, I, I'm anti scarf. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, we're going to wrap it up, but. Is there anything that you would like to say to kind of up and coming archaeologists? Just be nice to each other and, and ask lots of questions and talk to each other and don't don't start a conversation with your point of view or your opinion. Just try to be friendly. Treat people like they're your brothers and sisters and it's easy, easy that way. Life is easy. I would buy your book, Kevin. I would buy it. <laughs> I would. Okay, we will leave it there. Thank you very much, Kevin Hogan, for being on the podcast. <laughs> yeah, you bet. Okay, right. we'll see you Maybe. later. Okay, do I just do we just <laughs> okay. end it now? There's no. Like... We just say thanks, Kevin. Okay. I'll see you later. Bye. Bye. Hey folks, thanks for listening to this episode of Dig This. If you have any questions or there's something you'd like us to dig into, reach out online. You can find and follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Dig This Pod. If you dig us, leave us a review and tune in next week for a new episode.